0: today with Joan
1: Nash on live 95 let's talk business with ford lease hassle-free vehicle leasing search ford lease to find out more
2: now St John's Hospital in Limerick was hit very hard in the early stages of the pandemic earlier this year we uh, they have produced a 6 minute uh, video which tells the story of how the staff coped.
0: It's been the worst of times, and then again, it's been the best of times, because we have seen such bravery in that staff have stayed on, worked long hours, supported patients, didn't
1: walk away. We had seen what had gone on in Italy. We had seen what gone on in China. We never thought it would hit St John's. It was like nothing that we'd ever experienced before. The fear factor was there, the fear of the unknown. This was at a new level. I was really fearful for the staff. I really was, I could see it in their eyes that they were terrified initially. I have three children myself and a husband, I, I suppose. I was worried that I would come home, bring it home and I would give it to them.
2: So that's a clip from the 6-minute video on St John's Hospital and we'll hear more from it in a moment. You can catch the whole video on the Live 95 website. The hospital was almost worn down by the pandemic back in March and April. CEO of the hospital is warning that staff, patients and loved ones can't go through the same trauma again and says unless the public responds to the measures being introduced there's not just a grave risk of having a very restricted Christmas but a return to the worst days. Of COVID And CEO Emer Martin of St. John's Hospital, as well as clinical nurse manager Emer McLaughlin are both on the line with us this morning. Good morning to you both.
0: Good morning, Good morning.
2: Gillian. Uh, Emer Martin first. Uh, can you take us back to when the wave of COVID hit the hospital and how would you describe it?
0: Well, first of all, I'll I'll start by saying thank you very much for inviting us to speak on your programme this morning, because this is a real opportunity to get a very important message out to the public in regards to COVID. So, you know, we, we faced extraordinary challenges over the last few months particularly at the height of the pandemic between March, April and May, they they were the key months. And uh, those months, you know, they affected staff in in enormous ways in that, you know, we, we tried to facilitate the best care that we possibly could for patients at that time, but it was very difficult. We couldn't let family members in to visit patients. And I'm talking in particular about patients who were at end of life. And this is a time when normally we would have family members in and we'd give them... 24 hour access to see their loved ones. We couldn't do any of that and we had to maintain that the, the family members at a distance and try and come, come up with creative ways of allowing that communication to take place which we did and we did it which is quite similar to what all other hospitals were doing as well but it was the emotional effect on staff also not just the, the you know the working climate and the working circumstances that they were dealing with but it was going home at the end of the day back to their own families and that fear factor as we heard Emer McLaughlin talk about there during the clip that you played of the video that fear factor. You know, am I going to bring coronavirus home to my family? Am I going to give it to my family? Am I going to get it myself? So I, I think, you know, I when I say... And it was
2: a real fear because you had more than a quarter of your staff in quarantine at one point, didn't you?
0: We did, yeah. Unprecedented numbers. We've never had that amount of staff go out sick and the thing about it is we couldn't turn to anywhere else and just get, you know, replacements. It doesn't work like that when you're in the height of a pandemic. So we had to carry on with the work with the fewer numbers of staff so it put extra pressures on all of our staff to work during those you know that time when we had such few numbers available
2: what did you find the most shocking about what happened
0: Well I think you know it's the stealth by which the virus moves and spreads that's the shocking thing and for us as well we we, you know and I think I speak for a lot of healthcare settings uh, it was a learning time and we didn't realise just how virulent this particular virus was and we've dealt with viruses before we have a lot of uh, you know expert staff working in in that area in the hospital but this was something completely different. The way in which the the, the virus spreads is, is just completely I, I suppose a, um, a, a whole new learning curve for all of us and, and we could see that this was something that w- was very very difficult to conquer and control now we have learned a lot and we've put a lot of those learning measures into place so that is helping us this time round but I would have to say that you know appeal to the public that it is very very important to continue adhering to the social distancing precautions and to the measures that the government have put in place. The spread of the virus is it's indicating that it's not under control yet uh with the r rate being above one it's currently between 1.3 and 1.4 as it was reported yesterday nationally so the only way we can get that r number down below zero or sorry below one is to implement those measures and then that allows the the disease to decline and it gives the society control over matters
2: Well, I know a lot of people are getting their news on this in in facts and figures at the moment. But the one thing about your video is it does give the human angle to it. Here's another clip that tells a human story.
1: How are we going to be with the dying person? Because we made a pact at the very beginning of this among ourselves on the floor that no matter what happened, that one of us would be with somebody when they were dying. So we had one um, gentleman who was with us and he had um, three children and unfortunately the families were not allowed in. We knew on the final day that it was coming near his time um, and he was deteriorating so we were able to do a video link call. It was heartbreaking. They were there and they were there um, Daddy don't leave us, don't leave us Daddy, they were saying "Um, please, we're begging you, please get better and come home. He was restless, he was starting to get a little bit agitated but because he heard them and then his two grandchildren came on and they started talking to him and he changed he he, it was it was unbelievable to witness it he just like his breathing went really calm his facial expression changed he started flickering his eyes the two grandchildren he he heard them and he knew they were there and he could hear them and we let them talk for a while and then when we came off the call We put on, they had brought in earphones and he loved classical music. We put on the classical music, we put a little picture in his hand of his wife and himself, and I I think it was three hours later he passed away. So peaceful.
2: Emer McLaughlin, um, I, I think anybody who's been with somebody in their dying moments knows that they are precious moments and they're memories that stay with you forever.
1: Yes, Jillian, it is. I suppose the two major occasions in your life are when you're born and when you die. They're the two occasions that everybody will remember, you will talk about and families. It's That's what means the most to all of us in life, that we're with you know, the loved person at the birth and we're there also then with the person um, when they're dying.
2: Uh, and you made the decision as you, as you said that that nobody would be on their own but how hard is it for their families not to have been able to be actually physically present
1: i don't think unless you've gone through it and i got a phone call yesterday from two of the fam- from two members of that family that i spoke about and even yesterday to hear what they're still going through 7 months later they they still can't accept, you know, that they—that I suppose what they went through, not knowing, knowing that they weren't with their dad when he died. So this—I don't think people realise the huge implication that this has had on families, not being with the person, um, not sitting with them, not being there, not being able to talk to them properly, face to face, to touch them. There are things we take for granted, but my God, when it was taken from all those families across the country, because this was a national thing, like families are still struggling because of this.
2: And then, of course, when somebody does pass, the funeral is not the same either.
1: No, and that is another thing we tried to say, you know, we tried to look at ways, you know, how could we make this a little bit extra special? Because literally, like, I'm not, you know, I don't want to frighten people or anything, but, like, literally then, as you know, families, all the family, the whole funeral was curtailed. You know, everything was cut back. So, like, people didn't even get that chance to even grieve properly with their families so what we tried to do was a very kind lady living near the hospital uh, crocheted two little hearts and we used to put one heart with the patient in their hand and then when they died and then we'd give one to the family then we'd put in little holy water bottles this is for people that had the catholic religion and wanted it the families but it was so heartbreaking to think that we were the last people that saw that person Um, you know, when they died and that the family never got that chance. They never got the opportunity, um, you know, to grieve the person properly.
2: Emer Martin, it's clear that quite a number of your staff are probably still suffering PTSD, really. You know, the, the trauma from what they've been through earlier in this year, and yet they have to face into this again. How prepared do you think the hospital is for what we're being told is going to be rising numbers?
0: Yeah, that's right, Uh, you know, uh, and thank you for acknowledging that. Yes, it... I, we're as prepared as we can be. You know, we follow the HSE guidance. We follow the, the national guidance that, that that is in place across all hospitals. But at the same time, you know, we, we often wonder how prepared can we as, be as well. At the same time, people have gone through what was a, a very, very emotional time. And we're all human, you know. And I think there's only so much we can take as well. We, we who are the caregivers, are human. And that, that's... You know, a huge thing to ask of any staff member is to go through all of that again. We really don't want to go back there. We don't want to go back to how things were in March, April and May. It was a very emotionally tiring time for the staff.
2: Emer McLaughlin, you know, some people are struggling with the idea that we're facing into six weeks of, of lockdown. Um, there are people who you do hear people dismissing the the concern over the spread of the virus, I suppose, because perhaps in their own circle, they've lived through, through the last seven or eight months without having been touched by it personally or their family circle in in a serious way. What do you say to those people? How do you? get it across to them? I mean I, I think the video does it very very well and your stories do it well but why do you think they're not getting it?
1: I suppose if you haven't been affected by it if you haven't had somebody in your family being very unwell like some of our staff here who were very fit and healthy you know members of staff were so unwell that it, it actually shocked us to think that they became so unwell and some are still so unwell. Some are still having minor symptoms and some are having still quite significant symptoms of COVID. So if it doesn't affect you, I suppose, you don't really think, you know, oh, it's somebody else. But if you had to go through... What families have to go through when people are sick and they can't visit them. Remember, there was no visiting. There's no visiting now. So if you you pick, I always say to people, picture yourself, put yourself in their shoes, and say, if that was my mum inside in the hospital, my dad, I couldn't visit them. I couldn't see them for weeks on end. Then they became unwell, and I couldn't be with them. You know, people just try and put yourselves into other people's shoes. I think that's the best way. Because yes, a lot of people, it doesn't affect. But try and think and be kind and think of other people rather than thinking of yourself is probably the biggest message.
2: And Emer Martin, have you any concerns over staffing as we head into the winter?
0: Well, you know, we're 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 mindful that staff can start contracting coronavirus again. Um so that concern is always there at the back of my mind. But, you know, we one thing we did see over the last few months is that our staff pulled together so well. It was absolutely incredible to witness, very moving to witness. And we have a great team of people here working in St John's, so we we'll be relying on that again if we need to. Yeah.
2: OK, well, Emer Martin, CEO of St. John's Hospital and Emer McLaughlin, who is the clinical nurse manager. Thank you both for coming on the programme this morning, but for your service at the hospital and everything you're doing for the, the wider Limerick community. And we wish you all the very best over the coming months. And I'd urge anybody to go to the Live 95 website and check out that video of the St. John's Hospital staff and how they dealt with the pandemic